Hey folks, Dr. Tim Jordan here with a new episode of Raising Daughters. Thank you so much for stopping by each week. I really appreciate that. And I especially appreciate you passing these on to your friends. I People tell me all the time they've been passing them on. I really appreciate that a lot. And I, we talk about girls. We talk about what's going on for girls today, trying to help you understand your daughters or your students, um, and also give you, giving you some tools that hopefully will help you to support them in the way that needs to be supported. I thought I would veer off the path a little bit tonight and interview two people who I've known for a while, and they're both uh, educators. And I've been hearing a lot about teachers in the, in the news and just around town talking about how unhappy they are. There's a, there's a shortage of teachers, um, a shortage of many people going into education for teaching. There's been sort of an exodus of experienced teachers due to burnout and stress, especially since COVID. And so I thought I would bring a couple of educators, some teachers on to the show tonight to talk, just have a discussion for a while to talk about what is their experience? What's going on in the educational field? What's going on in schools? What's going on for teachers? Because everybody listening to this probably has a daughter who's in school. And so you interface with your teachers all the time and maybe wondering why, why are people leaving the profession? So I invited uh, uh, Whitney, first of all, on the show, and she's the assistant principal at a high school in Chicago Public Schools. Is that accurate? Chicago Public yes. Schools. And she can tell you her, her experience in just a moment. And the other person is Alexa. And she's a seventh grade social studies teacher in a, in a, a school in, in St. Louis down in the city. Uh, she's also head of like a middle school teacher team as well. So they they interface with lots of teachers. They're in leadership positions, as well as they've, been, they've also taught. And Whitney, you taught in New York for a while as well. So mm -hmm. first of all, thank you for coming to, on the show. I really appreciate it, first of all. Thank you for having us. Yeah. yeah. So so let's start with Whitney. Tell us, tell us a little bit about your background, like how long you've been teaching and what you do today. Yeah. Um, I started teaching in 2012 in New York City. Um, I taught there at a high school, I taught high school mathematics, and then I moved back to Chicago in 2016 and I taught for another four years, high school math. Um, and then I moved over into administration two years ago. So this is my third year as a school administrator. I did two years at a pre-K to eight school, and now I'm back in the high school setting at a, a large public high school in Chicago. Okay. How about you, Alexa? Um, this will be my seventh year in the classroom, sixth year at the school that I'm at. And I've always been in seventh grade. Um, I recently made a shift from teaching language arts to teaching uh, U.S. history. And um, in that time, I've been able to do a lot of different things within my role and have like girls groups within my school. I've been able to um, build an entire curriculum and I've been able to kind of step up in more leadership roles within the school. So that's where I'm at. Okay. So let's start with just like a, a general question, but you can get as specific as you want. It, I, I started at the beginning talking about how you hear so much about teachers being burned out and people, teachers leaving the professional. Is, is that what you're finding as well, just in your experience? Um, I would say in my experience from like just the past couple of years, yes. <laughs> I went from a team full of experienced teachers on my seventh grade team with me um, and I had teachers leave mid-year. We had a lot of turnover over the past couple of years. Um, and then I'm now with 
just seven years of experience, one of the most experienced teachers on the team. So there has been um, quite a lot of teachers leaving, a lot of experienced teachers. Teachers have been in that role for 15 years. And the turnover was huge this past year. Like we have a little newbies training is what they call it, but it's all the, the new teachers to the school. And I think we're up to like 35, maybe 40 this year. Wow. And uh, I'm just curious, because I, I want to ask Whitney the same question. When they leave, are they going to other schools to teach? Or are they not teaching? Um, I would say it's 50-50. Some schools mm. are, some of the teachers have left and are now teaching um, at larger districts. I teach at a charter school in the city. Um, so we're attached to St. Louis Public School, but it's a charter school. So um, we kind of operate uh, singularly like their own district. Um and some are going to the county or going to larger districts, and then some are leaving education entirely. Okay. How about you, Whitney? What's your experience as far as teachers turnover? Yeah. Um, and recently, I the school I was at last year was like a very um, close-knit group of teachers. So there was not a lot of turnover there. And then the school I'm at now is much more of a traditional view of like, you know, there are teachers that have been teaching there for like 25 years. So while there are more new teachers for them than normal, um, for me, it's not a lot. What I found is that um, the more, I don't know, um, less stable a school is, the more teacher turnover there is. And I would agree with Alexa that there's like 50-50 of teachers leaving the profession um, and teachers going to another school and trying to see like, is it better here? Is it a better fit here? Um, I will say also that my, I started teaching in a fellowship program because within the first five years of teaching 50% of teachers leave. Um, and the idea behind that fellowship was that they would invest in us. They would give us stipends. They would give us extra training, extra professional learning, um, in an attempt to change that and my cohort of people, still half of them left. Um, mm. There's really no way of predicting whether or not you're going to like teaching until you're actually teaching. And um, I think that that's a big part of it. And then the last few years definitely played a role in um, helping people decide whether or not they wanted to stay in education. That was a very politically correct thing. <laughs> you said before that the schools who are less stable probably mm -hmm. lose more teachers. And what, what do you mean by that? So my first school that I taught at, um, my very first year of teaching received an F on the city's report card um, for schools. They don't do that anymore, but um, it was, we were really struggling. We had a really low graduation rate. Um, we received a new principal and she was um, very ambitious in terms of trying to implement new structures and new systems and um, new ways of doing things because of the emergency situation that we were in. And when you have change, I find that that causes a lot of turnover um, because teachers like to have a lot of professional autonomy and agency um, and like to have control over their classroom. And sometimes Sometimes that's awesome. And sometimes it's not serving the kids. If you have a, a group of kids that need a lot more structure, a lot more systems, then um, I think that that pushes people out too. Yeah. My daughter, Kelly, worked at a school down in the city for four years. It was an elementary school. And she had four principals 
in four years. Yeah. Every year they started fresh with another person with another whole agenda, whatever you want to call it. And it was extremely disrupting for everybody, including the kids. Yeah. And they lost a lot of teachers every year. There's a lot of turnover. Mm -hmm. um, why do you, what, what would you say is, is the reason that most of them are leaving? You mentioned a few things, but what, what do you think? I know there's lots of reasons why people leave their profession, but I'm curious, is there like a pattern? Like I, this is what I'm seeing the most, both of you. Um, I think as like the school that I, I teach at, we get a lot of um, young teachers. So speaking back to that, like you, you get in the classroom and you get quite familiar with what teaching the profession will look like. And then they kind of either fall in love or fall out of love and, and change careers. Um, but I think also it, uh, after COVID are now like adjusting with COVID during COVID, all of that. I know my school felt a huge shift in the way the students behaved and like acted, interacted with one another, interacted with teachers, interacted with like administration, their parents, everything has kind of shifted with um, the way it did look and before. And we've had to kind of like break up with the way it felt and how like comfortable we got and the way we like connected with kids and things have shifted to being um, I don't know, just different. We've learned that the way that it looked is not how it is going to look. And maybe we'll get back to like a, a new version of that, but we're having to redo, um, so much of the connections we had. And that's exhausting. Like we're having to teach children how to interact with, um, people <laughs> and like read, especially if they miss some of those like formative years of reading when they come to sixth or seventh grade and they they're reading at a second grade level as a grade level. Like that's incredibly challenging because two years ago when they should have started to peek over, they, they didn't get that or they disconnected. So there's so many different layers of why it's become more challenging, but uh, it's, it's more challenging. <laughs> and so it's, yeah. it's exhausting on all fronts and you want to do your best and you want to connect the way you always have, but that that's changed and kind of losing that image and shifting that. Let's stick with the kids and then we'll talk about maybe how disconnected teachers may be. But how about you, Whitney? What's your experience about kids um, having lost the ability to connect with their peers and or with their with their teachers? Yeah, last year for sure. Um, and I mean, over the pandemic, remote, um, really jostled by how unsocial the kids were um, from personal space to like, kids would just get up and walk around the room and not even realize that they were doing it or walk out of the room and not even realize they were doing it. Um, I would have conversations with kids walking in the hallway and they'd just be like, it's just too much to be around this many people and have this many people talking to me and expecting things of me and um, getting into the routines. And so when you have a group of kids who already developmentally are learning how to self-regulate, overwhelmed, like their systems are overwhelmed, then that's going to create a ton of conflicts because that's what kids do. You know, hats off to you, Alexa, teaching seventh grade. That's where a lot of these things start really bubbling over. And so yeah, you're talking about middle schoolers last year. You're not talking about uh, kindergartners. You're talking about, I think, right? Sixth, seventh, eighth graders. Yeah. For, so that was how it manifested for sixth, seventh, eighth graders. And they, and they really struggled with how to talk to each other, how to keep their hands to themselves, how to ask for help, how to 
just like basic social skills. Little kids, you know, we up to second grade, we were getting kids last year that had never been to school. Yeah. Um, and so as a result of that, they didn't even have like gross motor skills, like the ability to hold a pencil. Um, and so we were doing that stuff, which is normally covered in preschool up to second grade. And, um, and now I think that we are starting to understand that this isn't, the learning loss isn't something that we are just going to, we're going to live with us for a really long time. Um, you know, we just did our screening testing for our ninth graders and 0% of them showed any mastery on any of the state math standards for ninth grade. Um, and so it, it, that is just going to become a thing. And then the other thing I'll say about the kids is like, kids, we know kids love expectations and safety and consistency. And we took school away from them for about a year and a half. And that does something to a kid. Um, and it makes them a little bit nihilistic, a little bit like, I don't know that I can trust that anything matters because this thing that we all agree is the one thing that will exist. Um, and I think like that's another pressure that's on teachers is that schools are the last, the last thing that catches kids, catches abuse. Like over the pandemic, you know, being identified as experiencing abuse because we weren't seeing them in school. Um, we feed the kids, we get them access to healthcare, we get them access to eye, you know, vision screening and hearing screening and and all of these things. And then we just like took that away from them. And so I found that the kids last year, and I'm still seeing it this year, have a little bit of like, does literally anything matter um, hmm. in a way that is new and different? Mm-hmm. Are you finding the same thing, Alexa? Absolutely. I mean, everything like echoed and reiterated over and over again. Yeah, I, it's, um, yeah, it's just, it's really hard to know what it, it could look like and seeing that just it's, it's not going to necessarily look like that for maybe a, a really long time or just things will, will look different in the future. And that's kind of just the vision of it and where we were headed. It's really interesting that this is going to sound stupid. So excuse me for saying this, but they, they missed a year, year and a half ish of in school learning. And they're all so behind in everything. It's not just reading or math. It's, it's also social skills and their ability to regulate their emotions and all those kinds of things. It's, it's, maybe it shouldn't be amazing, but it's just it's disturbing, whatever the word is, that they lost so much in that time. Mm-hmm. And, and so I'm curious about what are schools doing to catch them up? That's a loaded <laughs> question. I'm sorry to say that too, but... I know know it's a a monumental hill to climb, but. Yeah, I think it's a good question. And I think that that is why a lot of teachers are leaving. (laughs) Because, and I think in general, like the reason why there's more vitriol and distrust and and whatever in education is because we're trying to fix a whole society's worth of problems Mm -hmm. (laughs) just within our buildings or our classrooms. And, and so like, what are we doing? I think like in general, there is a much more focus, a bigger focus on social emotional learning to the extent where it's become a buzzword and it's unclear what it means. You know, Alexa, I know your school has been doing it for real authentically since Mm -hmm. long before the pandemic, but I think in general, um, that is a big 
push for more people to understand that, you know, tomorrow we have a professional development day and I'm doing a session on trauma-informed practices for the teachers and doing it now versus a few years ago, I know that at least most people have a foundational knowledge or an understanding of, of these things. So that's definitely one thing. That's one of the things that I've heard pe- teachers complain about is that they're expected to be a teacher. They're expected to be a psychologist. They're expect- expected to be a social worker. They're expected to be a parent. They're expected to be someone who's like the gatekeeper for where they're going to get their resources that they can't just come and teach, teach and go home and prepare lessons. They have to. And I think the social work part is like the one that I think is the hardest is like those kids are coming with so many layers of problems, maybe in particular, some of the kids you guys are working with. And where do you start? Much less. Oh, they're also supposed to be learning math. (laughs) Yeah. you, You guys are both nodding. Somebody speak to that. But the different Um, roles that they're asked to take on. I mean, it's always been there. And the expectation is always kind of there. I don't think you can teach without being more than just a teacher. Not like not effectively in the sense that like your kids come in with things and you have to acknowledge it or else we're ignoring what's on their mind. And arguably seventh grade is over 50% the social aspect of a kid's life. And then maybe we get some academics in there and they like have that value, but, but truthfully it's the world is the social aspect of seventh grade. And then they come in and maybe I can distract them with some, some academics, but (laughs) I have to be able to see every single one of their moods on their faces, or at least know like their difference in posture and then come over and ask them, do I know the difference between if they're going to need a break or if they're going to need to um, like write down and vent, does this kid need to go talk to someone immediately? And and being able to do all of those decisions, I know that it becomes kind of second nature to, to teachers, but if you're not in the classroom every day and you're not making those decisions with 20 different students per hour, um, it, it, it can kind of be lost on you, like how much you have to be in tune with everything that's going on. And then seeing, um, I mean, the, the signs of trauma that, that uh, Whitney was talking about, and then being able to flip hats so much for all of the different um, students in the room, because there's, there might be a kid who's having a meltdown, but you also still have to hold like academic rigor um, and hold them to a standard where the kid who is really wanting to engage with the lesson and is just itching for um, getting that next thing done or, or understanding the content is ready to learn, like being able to be present for them and and you just rotate between at all times. And yeah. that, that demand has gone up. Um, and there's also the fact that the distrust is there. I'm having to earn a lot more trust between students now because we did disappear for a year and a half. And because it was like something where I would say I would always be there for you, but then I couldn't get a hold of them. And they, whatever went on in their lives, I didn't know. And then they're showing up and the constant asking of, but why do I have to do this? And it, and explaining and proving myself to students and to parents and to everyone all of the time has become this extra um, kind of element of my teaching career you, too. So do you think that's underneath some, all, a lot of this is the fact that they have a sense of being abandoned, quote unquote, that where were you um, for the last year and a half? Is that part of the problem is. with disconnection and all that? trust and who gives it I was gonna say a bad word who cares there's you know why does it matter Mm -hmm. 
Um, I mean, I think, I think Whitney said it so well, whenever you were explaining just like how it was this consistent thing in their lives and it was, it was gone and how, how dare we disappear and, and all of the other things that could be, that we thought was just a part of society and their lives and their day-to-day disappeared and changed from them. Um, and the, why does it matter? I, I think, I think you said it best. Yeah. And I think like to your, the balancing act or the, you know, doing all of the things while teaching all the hats that you have to do. Um, you know, you have to be really well boundaried to do that. Um, and with, with longevity, which for me, like a lot of the coaching I do when, you know, people share things with me about frustrations with kids is we are not here to change kids and we are not here to, to save their life. They are whole people and we have a moment to show up for them and, and do what we can. And we don't get to judge whether or not it works. Like we're planting seeds. Um, and so there's a bit of like a letting go that needs to happen that I think a lot of teachers really struggle with. And on the other end of the spectrum is complete like compassion fatigue where you're like the only thing that matters is seventh grade social studies and I don't care about all this stuff like you guys got to learn this content mm-hmm. um and both are like a response to the overwhelming nature um and I mean there's also science to it too right that if you're around people who are traumatized like that seeps into your own body whether or not you're talking about it whether or not yeah. whatever and so you you have to be as an adult and a professional really well boundaried and clear about what your role is if you're not a trained social worker do not do social work mm-hmm. with those kids we got to find resources and people that can do that with them um because that also burns people out yeah alexa you said something earlier when you're ex- explaining that you know it becomes second nature one of my worries when you said that was you have a lot of new teachers so mm-hmm. they don't have the second nature thing in yet. But even teachers who have been around for a while, I don't think in your training, you get much social emotional learning training, nor do you get any or much personal setting emotional boundaries. So you don't get that compassion fatigue. I, I think we're throwing you in there. You, not just you, teachers mm-hmm. in general. And, there, and, you know, there's not very much, I don't know about your schools. I, I've read, I've read lots of books and things in the past talking about how, new teachers need a mentor in their school, someone who takes them under their wing and sits in their classroom and blah, blah, which sounds so wonderful. I, I don't know any school that does that or has that, has that luxury. So I, I think they're, you're sort of throwing to the wolves. And in the past, Alexa, you said, we've always had to wear more than one hat as a teacher. You know, that's, I think that's true. But, but you have to wear that hat for a lot of kids now, not just a few kids in your class. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we do have mentoring, um, but I would say that, you know, it varies in terms of the receptiveness, you know, because you get some new teachers who are like, I am great. (laughs) I am amazing. (laughs) I don't need your help. Um, But uh, I think most schools do try to offer something along the lines, at least a trusted person in the building to go to, whether it be a grade team lead or a formal mentor or a coach or something. Mm -hmm. But I, bet, I, I would guess they would get overwhelmed as well because so many people are now coming to them and they get fatigued and then it's <laughs> the whole building is fatigued. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, I, but, and I think even, you know, you, you get, by the way, these, these are two ex-campers, Camp Willikai <laughs> campers and camp counselors. And so they, they did get some social emotional learning and all, but I would guess a lot of people 
in your in your buildings, I'm talking about teachers, even principals probably don't have much training in that or much background or much experience. And is that you guys are both nodding yes. So how does that affect the school? I well, so we're a school of character. <laughs> That's like our our thing. That's our our goal. Is there a poster uh, in the wall? <laughs> yeah, there there are the posters and and it's the message and we do stand by it and we always say like we don't have a curriculum. It's in everything that we do. Okay, that's the that's the line, and it's true. Um, but it also it, it's hard whenever you're getting all of these different messages sent, and uh, especially for new teachers, they're told, you know, don't be sarcastic because it could mean X, Y, and Z. And that can really be so helpful, but then a middle school teacher being told not to be sarcastic and that was just told to them, but the best way to connect with middle schoolers sometimes is to be sarcastic and then you're, but you're trying to make sure that you're the best, like supportive, loving teacher that you can be. And so you get all these mixed messages. Um, and I see a lot with these new teachers that I'm working with now, they're getting We've had to streamline. They do have mentors. They do have people who are in the room. They do have people who are supporting them. Good. Um, but I am having to refrain from like, they, they bring something up that happened in class and I want to give advice, but they get it from so many angles. I might not actually help them and telling them how I would have handled it because if I give them my strategy, then the person, um, their mentor might give them a different strategy and then admin might give them a different strategy and then their new new teacher friend might give them a different strategy. And so they get all these mixed messages mm -hmm. on how to actually handle it. And then it, they end up doing something they found on Google and hope for the best. And that has repercussions too. So it, it's almost um, too much, especially like all of the advice that they can get in it. If it isn't intuitive and it, if it isn't something that you're familiar with navigating, it's overwhelming and there's lots of different ways you can handle that overwhelming yeah. feeling. So you have all this going on. I'm just curious because I also hear this in the news a lot. See things written. What's what's the role of of salary in all this? Um, not not paying teachers what they're worth, all that. So I, I see stuff on the news about certain schools where the teachers are striking and are threatening to strike and all that, and they have there have been strikes. I'm just curious about as as far as as the morale goes, as far as teachers leaving, how much of that is due to, to uh, their low pay? So a lot of the union action that happened in at least my district had nothing to do with pay. Um, it was all around COVID. Um, and I think that played a huge role in burnout last year and the year before, um, was every time that we wanted to bring more kids into the building, um, there was big clash between, you know, the district is representing, we need to be teaching as much as possible in the best way as possible. And the union is advocating for, we need to protect teachers as much as possible so that they can teach. Um, mm -hmm. and so like last year was a good example of like, we started kind of, you know, we're in this, we're doing this. And then the surge happened in January um, and the teachers asked for, I think, a two-week remote period before break. Nothing happened over break. There was no negotiating or anything. And then we came back, and the teachers were like, well, we're not going to work um, for like four days. And over the course of that, and then coming back to school, it completely disrupted trust between the teachers in my building because they had 
vastly different opinions on both mm-hmm. sides of, of the issue between teachers and the district, between parents and the teachers, and then between students and the teachers. Um, and even now, it's like, you know, teachers outside of the building have a certain level of like safety awareness or like uh, safety tolerance related to COVID, but it's usually more extreme when they come into a school just because the culture of like, you cannot tell me that I, that I need to be unsafe, I guess. Um, That whole conflict throughout the pandemic uh, really did a lot of damage to any cycles of professional learning, to student progress, to teacher energy um, and connection. Um, And so I don't, I'm actually interested, Alexa, to hear what it was like for you because you're at a charter school, correct? Mm -hmm. Yeah. In regards to what element of that? Just like the reopening conflicts. Um, we had phases, but we handled, um, we don't have a union. Mm-hmm. We handled a lot of things. Um, we, I don't know, it's a smaller school setting. So I, I know my principal and I go into her office and I can have those conversations with her. And um, I talked to the head of school, what would be like the superintendent and we have meetings and I know the face. So it's, it's a little different, but, um, they rolled out in phases and some teachers were upset and some teachers were okay with it, but it wasn't, it wasn't our focus. I would say we did have a lot of teachers upset about pay, um, after, and then knowing some things about funding and like the state and, and where that money was going and knowing that we're like, we have a very transparent for the most part of like seeing where money goes at our school, but then having lots of questions so that it was different. And we felt comfortable to that year of the pandemic where it was really like a lot of remote teaching. We, um, we had a pretty decent setup. We didn't flip flop. They were very adamant. We were not going to, um, be like, we do it this way. And now we're doing a hybrid model. And now we're going to have teachers in, we're going to have teachers out or kids and masks and no masks. So we stayed very consistent and they were adamant about that. And so that was very helpful and clear. Um, and then it was, as things got a little bit looser, people felt a little bit more uncomfortable and, and some of the questions were raised, but it was, um, concise. And I think that really paid off for, admin and alleviating some of those things. And maybe I just don't know about <laughs> some of the teachers who are unhappy, but it, I don't think that was the major pressure point for some of them. You know, I, I, when I was in medical school, they started telling us this is like a hundred years ago, but they started telling us about these things called HMOs. And there's this Kaiser thing out in California or somewhere and it's coming. And this is like our first year of med school. We were so swamped with, you know, all the science stuff. We didn't have time to think about this crap coming down the pike, right? And they were trying to warn us that it's going to start looking different. But we went out into our new profession, you know, with these visions of I'm going to be this small town doctor and people are going to respect us and it's going to look like this. And then it didn't look like that. And it started looking less and less like that. And so there's a lot of doctors uh, in my generation, probably even now, who, who are disgruntled because their vision didn't come to fruition. 
it started to shift and change and 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 the profession isn't as appreciated as maybe they once were and they don't get paid as much as they used to get paid in a, in a sense and but it's more like uh their story got messed up you know my story is going to look like this and now it's looking like this and mm -hmm. but a lot of them didn't have the courage to do something different so i'm wondering i'm hearing some of that from you guys like like a lot of young teachers come in like it's going to be like this and then it doesn't look like that I think that that's a big part of teaching because everybody went to school. So everybody has opinions about it and everybody thinks they know what it is. But um, mm -hmm. the actual, I mean, even within a school, we were talking to people, like I was talking to somebody who's helping me with the training tomorrow and her background is counseling. She works in a school with teachers, but her perspective on things is totally different. Um, and she just doesn't understand like what the cognitive demand is of teaching. I work way more hours in my current job, but I am way less exhausted than teaching. I'm, mm -hmm. I mean, I'm like naturally an introverted person. So, you know, holding all the things that we talked about, you know, holding 150 kids in my head um, and doing that dance, like very actively hundred percent engaged and on was really exhausting to me. Um, whereas my current role is much more variety and much more, you know, helping and solving a lot of problems. Um, and so it's just different. Sorry, my cat is in with the podcast. <laughs> um, I have two quick questions, and I don't want to keep you guys too much longer because so you probably have to do homework or something. Um, one of them is that since there's a lot of parents listening to this, what would you like for them to, to take away from this about what's going on for their teachers, how they can best support the teachers? in their kids' school? Um, I would say that we're people. <laughs> like, I think that sometimes we wear like a, the professional hat and that um, we are these figures and we are important in the sense that we do, we hold this professional boundary with kids. We walk this really important line with them. And we're, we have a lot of influence in a classroom and, and our words have power and weight and the grades have power and weight. everything that we're, we're doing can um, have massive influence but I always tell my students like I will make mistakes and I will apologize openly and we can have a conversation about it but that's just the nature of being a human um, but I, I think sometimes I wish I could have that conversation with parents and have it be received just as like warm as I am a human and I'm sorry if something doesn't feel right. I'm happy to explain myself or and, um, kind of elaborate on a situation. But if you want to have a conversation with me, I'm happy to have a conversation, but I'm a person at the other end of the phone or at the other end of the table. And I'm, I want to be um, as, transparent, as transparent as possible and supportive to your student. And I want to be your partner in their education. Um, but I'm also a person and I've got a new yeah. baby at home and I have things I want to do on the weekend. And I, I'm also, I'm all of these other things too. And I want to, I want to give everything in my life the same um, level of importance it deserves as well. And so if it doesn't look like the grade is in the grade book, whenever you want it to look like, or um, I haven't been able to get back to you or my email comes after 24 hours from when you sent it, um, that that's just kind of doesn't mean, it doesn't mean you don't care. It doesn't mean you're yeah. blowing them off. It just means I've got 50 things on my plate. You know, this is different. I'm going to give you a chance, Whitney, to answer the question too. But I have a friend who's a high school 
a football and basketball referee. This, this is not the same as being a teacher, but he's interfacing with kids and parents. And he said, even before COVID, that the energy of parents, as far as negativity and screaming at him and just rudeness had gone way up in the last five to 10 years. And since COVID, it's worse. Mm-hmm. That that parents have no tolerance, and they're it's like you said you wouldn't believe the kind of abuse that we get. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not the same as being a teacher, but it's somewhat the same. But the, I think parents are all jacked up too with everything. There's they're they're uncertain, and their worlds are uncertain. Their jobs are uncertain, and everything's shifting and stuff for them as well. Um, so I guess you, um, I'm glad you said that, Alexa. So anything else you would say different, uh, Whitney, about what you would like for parents to hear? I think that what the thing that I want parents to know is that a lot of the challenges or the things that they bring up are things that we care about, but um, are things that we may not have solutions for. Um, you know, I had a, a, a young a young boy in my kindergarten class last year who had some hitting issues and, you know, he's part of the class too. He's part of the school too. Um, so I can't, I can't make that go away. You know, I could, I can partner with you and I can share with you like what we're working on and what we're trying and how we can empower your child and, and do those things. Like I would rather our interactions be more of a partnership than a lot of times when parents are communicating with schools, it's transactional. It's, I want this to stop. I want this to change. I want this to happen. Um, What can you do for me as opposed to how can we work together to figure this out? And I would say sometimes teachers and schools treat parents the same way. Hey, your kid wasn't listening today. Hey, your kid wasn't doing this today. It's like, okay, by the time they get to high school, a lot of parents are like, yeah, I know they're doing that at home too. I don't know what to do. Um, So a lot, when I call home, the first thing I say is like, I'm just calling to introduce myself. I just want to like hear a little bit more on your perspective of like what's going on, what works for them, what doesn't work for them. Is there anything that I should know? always my first interaction. I mean, today I called home, a student has 36% attendance, but they're in the building literally every day, just like walking around. And instead of calling home being like, he doesn't go to class, like, "Ah!" Um, (laughs) like, that's not going to be helpful. Well, this is a long-term relationship. And so I wish that, um, you know, I have to train parents to see things that way, but I think parents could also train teachers to see things that way too. Mm. Um, by asking questions and and being curious and um, sustaining the relationship. Um, I think that's the only thing that's actually going to help kids get better because we know that like punitive stuff doesn't really change the core or the root problem. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Last thing, if, if you were, if you were talking to your superintendent um, or just the powers that be, um, what is it you think that the teachers need the most as far as support with everything they're dealing with? You, you guys have laid it out very well. What is it? I, I know this could be like a three hour discussion workshop, but on just if you could summarize, just I think what would really help teachers the most would be blank from, you know, the, the people, you know, powers of beast, whether it's principal, superintendent or whatever. Um, I think for me, uh, it would be like, how do I word this? Genuine appreciation. (laughs) I I think we get a lot of like handouts or things like you did, 
great or like the teacher appreciation week rolls around or we have um a couple weeks before the winter holiday we do like gifts for all the teachers and that's appreciated but nothing like compares from when I got like a personal email from my head of school saying specifically things about me that mm. was the first time in seven years that that had happened and that was way more fulfilling and same thing with like my principal whenever I get that genuine um appreciation and that can look like a lot of different things it wouldn't hurt for money and it wouldn't hurt for all the other things but it it's knowing that personally you've noticed me as a teacher you've noticed the true things I've done and the impact that that is and that helps me um reinvest each day and when things do get hard is knowing that it's if even if the kids don't notice and they don't really have to truthfully they don't it's I my work isn't completely gone to the wayside um and especially from like higher up. So I'm not just kind of in the corner of the school and doing my own thing. And especially since yeah. probably the pro progress you're wanting to see from students is slower than it used to be. And uh, the gains mm -hmm. may be slower and the problems have been, you know, piling up on each on lots of, there's lots of things, not just one thing. And with so many kids, sometimes you may not see, um, you may not get to see the fruits of your actions much day by day, but it's nice if someone, does say, I know what you've been doing. I've watched you and, and they're specific about that. It makes a lot of sense. Mm -hmm. yeah. How about you, Whitney? Um, I think that teachers want to feel heard. Um, I think a lot of decisions get made. I think sometimes they, get, they feel patronized or um, blamed. And a lot of decisions get made up top or in rooms that are very separated from teachers. And you know, I'm not discounting the value that seeing the the structure of the whole district has on making decisions. Like they have a different perspective and also the perspective inside of the classroom, like all of those structures should just be helping making the work inside of the classroom easier. Um, and if it's not helpful, then we shouldn't be doing it. Um, but I do think that there's a lot of unhelpful, well-intentioned initiatives um, from all the way at the top of the federal government to the cities, to smaller districts, to even charter networks that just have like one or two schools. Um, it, it happens really quickly. But it's kind of, it sounds like it's, it's mostly top down as opposed to bottom up. Like you guys saying, this is what we need and this is where we're at, as opposed to them just sending you something saying, here's our new changes. It was like, hello, mm -hmm. nobody asked me what I needed. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> or what I want. Thank yeah. you guys. Thank you both for coming on tonight and doing this. Uh, we've been talking with Alexa and Whitney. Uh, they, they're both uh, in this education field. Whitney's an assistant principal. Alexa's a seventh grade social studies, U.S. history teacher yeah. slash yeah. head of her middle school team. And they've been teaching for a while. And I really appreciate you giving this information to parents. I hope it's been helpful for them to understand their children's teachers better and what they're going through. Thank you. Thank you for having us. Okay. Well, that was interesting. I hope that was helpful for y'all to get a sense of what's going on 
for teachers in schools, what they're facing, what they need from their schools, what they need from you guys, you parents. Um, it's disturbing to hear how how much kids are struggling, not just with reading and stuff. That's bad enough, but also the the emotional stuff, the connection. I've I've heard it. I, I I work in two schools this semester. I see it. I hear it from kids in my retreats. My kid, I see it, but to hear it from teachers who are seeing those kids every day to me is is really sad. And we've got a lot of work ahead of us to support our kids to get to get back on track. Anywho, um, my website is www.drtimjordan.com. So if you want information about all the things that I do, my books and the, the retreats and things coming up, just check the website. It's, all the information's on there. I'll be back here with a new podcast in a week. Thank you so much for stopping by. Mm-hmm.